0: chapter nine of the surprising adventures of banfield moore carew king of the beggars by banfield moore carew at length a warrant was made out for conveying him to exeter and lodging him in one of the securest places in that city but as it was now too late to set forward on their journey that night they were ordered to a public-house at barnstable and the justice remembering the old proverb fast bind fast find would fain have locked the door of the room where mr carew was and taken the key with him but the honest landlord offering to become security for his appearance in the morning the justice was at last persuaded to be content without a jailer mr carew notwithstanding his situation was not cast down but bravely opposed his ill fortune with his usual courage and passed the night with great cheerfulness in the company of the collier captains who were his guard the next day mr carew was conducted to exeter without anything remarkable happening on the road there to his great annoyance he was securely lodged for upwards of two months before he was brought to trial at the quarter sessions held at the castle when justice beavis was chairman but that awful appearance the judges all met a terrible show did not strike any terror into his breast though loaded with chains he preserved his usual firmness of mind and saluted the court with a noble assurance being asked By the chairman what parts of the world he had been in he answered denmark sweden muscovy france spain portugal newfoundland ireland wales and some parts of scotland the chairman then told him he must proceed to a hotter country he inquired into what climate and being told maryland he with great composure made a critical observation on the pronunciation of that word implying that he apprehended it ought to be pronounced maryland and added it would save him five pounds for his passage as he was very desirous of seeing that country but notwithstanding he with great resolution desired to know by what law they acted as he was not accused of any crime however a sentence of banishment was passed upon him for seven years but his fate was not singular for he had the comfort of having fellow companions enough in his unmerited sufferings as out of thirty-five prisoners thirty-two were ordered into the like banishment whether at that period of time mankind were more profligate than usual or whether there was a more than ordinary demand for men in his majesty's colonies cannot by us be determined mr carew was not as is most commonly the case deserted by his friends in adversity for he was visited during the time of his imprisonment by many gentlemen who were exceedingly liberal to him and no sooner did the news of his captivity reach the ears of his subjects than they flocked to him from all parts administered to his necessities in prison and daily visited him till his departure this and the thoughts of the many new scenes and adventures which he was likely to encounter whereby he might have an opportunity of making his name as famous in america as it was already in europe often filled his mind with too pleasing reflections to regret his fate though he could have liked to have performed the voyage under more agreeable circumstances whenever the thought of being cruelly separated from his beloved wife and daughters glanced on his mind the husband and father unmanned the hero and melted him into tenderness and fear the reflection too of the damage his subjects might sustain by his absence and the disorder the whole community would be put in by it filled him with many disquietudes thus between pleasing ideas and heartfelt pangs did he pass his time till the day arrived that he was to be conducted on board the julian captain frode commander but how gentle reader shall i describe the ceremony of parting the last farewell of that dreadful day leaving the reader therefore to suppose all these fine things behold the sails already spread and the vessel cutting the waves but as if fate had opposed itself to the banishment of our hero the winds soon proved contrary and they were obliged to stay more than a fortnight in falmouth harbor for a fair wind and from thence in eleven weeks they arrived safely at maryland after a disagreeable voyage the first place they touched at was hampton between cape charles and cape henry where the captain went on shore and got a pilot and after about two days stay there the pilot brought the vessel down miles river and cast anchor in talbot county when the captain ordered a gun to be fired as a signal for the planters to come down and then went ashore he soon after sent on board a hogshead of rum and ordered all the men prisoners to be close shaved against the next morning and the women to have their best head-dresses put on which occasioned no little hurry on board for between the trimming of beards and putting on of caps all hands were fully employed early in the morning the captain ordered public notice to be given of the day of sale and the prisoners who were pretty near a hundred were all ordered upon deck where a large bowl of punch was made and the planters flocked on board their first inquiry was for letters from old england what passage he had how their friends did and the like the captain informed them of the war being declared against spain that it was expected it would soon be declared against france and that he had been eleven weeks and four days in his passage their next inquiry was if the captain had brought them good stores of joiners carpenters blacksmiths weavers and tailors Upon which the captain called out, "One Griffey, a tailor who had lived at Chumley in the county of Devon, and was obliged to take a voyage to Maryland for making too free with his neighbours' sheep." Two planters, who were Parson Nicholas and Mr. Rolls, asked him if he was sound wind and limb, and told him it would be worse for him if he told them an untruth. And at last purchased him from the captain. The poor tailor cried and bellowed like a bellwether cursing his wife who had betrayed him mr carew like a brave man to whom every soil is his own country ashamed of his cowardice gave the tailor to the devil and as he knew he could not do without them sent his shears thimble and needle to bear him company wherefore all these wailings, said our hero have we not a fine country before us pointing to the shore and indeed in this he was very right for maryland not only affords everything which preserves and confirms health but also all things that are charming the beauty of the prospect the fragrancy of the fields and gardens the brightness of the sky and the serenity of the air affect the ravished senses the country being a large plain and hills in it so easy of ascent and of such a moderate height that they seem rather an artificial ornament to it than one of the accidents of nature the abundance of rivers and brooks is no little help to the almost incredible fertility of the soil but to return when all the best tradesmen were brought up a planter came to mr carew and asked him what trade he was of mr carew to satisfy him of his usefulness told him he was a rat-catcher a mendicant and a dog-merchant What the devil trades are these? inquired the planter in astonishment, for I have never before heard of them, upon which the captain, thinking he should lose the sale of him, takes the planter aside and tells him he did but jest, being a man of humor, for that he was a great scholar, and was only sent over on account of having disobliged some gentleman, that he had no indenture with him, but he should have him for seven years, and that he would make an excellent schoolmaster however he did not buy him the next day the captain asked him to go on shore with him to see the country but with a view of getting a purchaser for him among the planters as they were walking several people came up to mr carew and asked him what countryman he was etc at length he went to a tavern where one mr david Huxter, who was formerly of Lyme in dorset and mr hambleton A scotchman seemed to have an inclination to buy him between them soon after came in one mr ashcraft who put in for him too and the bowl of punch went merrily round in the midst of their mirth mr carew who had given no consent to the bargain they were making for him thought it no breach of honor or good manners to seize an opportunity of slipping away without taking leave of them and taking away with him about a pint of brandy and some biscuit-cakes which by good luck he chanced to put his hand on he immediately betook himself to the woods as the only place of security for him mr carew having found he had eluded their search congratulated himself on his happy escape and deliverance for he now made no doubt of getting to old england again notwithstanding the difficulties which lay in his way as he knew his courage was equal to every danger but we are too often apt as the proverb says to reckon without our host and are sometimes near danger when we think ourselves most secure and so it happened to our hero at this time for amidst his joyful reflections he did not know that none were allowed to travel there unless when known without proper passes of which he was not provided and there is moreover a reward of five pounds for any one who apprehends a runaway it therefore happened that one morning early passing through a narrow path he was met by four timbermen going to work he would fain have escaped their observation but they soon hailed him and demanded where he was going and where his pass was these were questions which he would willingly have been excused from answering however as his wit was always ready he immediately told them he belonged to the hector privateer which he knew then lay upon the coast and that he was going on some business for the captain to charles county but as he could produce no pass this would not satisfy them so they seized upon him and conducted him to one colonel browns a justice of the peace in anne arundel county but here most gentle reader that thou mayest not form a wrong idea of this justice and as is too often the case judge of what thou hast not seen from what thou hast seen it will be necessary to inform thee that he was not such a one as hudibras describes an old dull sot who told the clock for many years at bridewell dock neither was he such a one as that excellent artist mr hogarth has depicted in his picture of a modern midnight conversation nor such a one as the author of joseph andrews has above all authors so inimitably drawn to the life nor yet was he such a one as thou hast often seen at a quarter sessions with a large wig a heavy unmeaning countenance and a sour aspect who gravely nods over a cause and then passes a decision on what he does not understand and no wonder when he perhaps never saw much less read the laws of his country but of justice brown i can assure the reader he could not only read but upon occasion write mittimus without the assistance of his clerk he was thoroughly acquainted with the general duties of his office and the particular laws of maryland his countenance was an awful majesty tempered with a humane sweetness ever unwilling to punish yet always afraid of offending justice and if at any time necessity obliged him to use the rod he did it with so much humanity and compassion as plainly indicated the duties of his office forced rather than the cruelty or haughtiness of his temper prompted to it and while the unhappy criminal suffered a corporeal punishment he did all that lay in his power to the end that it might have a due effect by endeavouring to amend the mind with salutary advice if the exigencies of the state required taxes to be levied upon the subjects he never by his authority or office excused himself from bearing his full proportion nor even would he meanly submit to see any of his fellow justices do so It was before such a justice Mr. Carew had the good fortune to be carried. They found him in his courtyard, just mounting his horse to go out, and he very civilly inquired their business. The timberman told him they had got a runaway. The justice then inquired of Mr. Carew who he was. He replied he was a seafaring man, belonging to the Hector Privateer of Boston, Captain Anderson, and as they could not agree, he had left the ship the justice told him he was very sorry it should happen so but he was obliged by the laws of his country to stop all passengers who could not produce passes and therefore though unwillingly he should be obliged to commit him he then entertained him very plentifully with victuals and drink and in the meantime made his commitment for newtown jail mr carew finding his commitment made told the timbermen that as they got their money easily he would have a horse to ride upon for it was too hot for him to walk in that country the justice merrily cried well spoken prisoner there was then a great ado with the timbermen to get a horse for him but at last one was procured and our hero mounted on a milk-white steed was conveyed in a sort of triumph to newtown the timbermen performing the cavalcade on foot the commitment was directed to the sheriff in newtown a saddler by profession who immediately waited on him to the prison he found it well peopled and his ears were confused with almost as many dialects as put a stop to the building of babel mr carew saluted them and courteously inquired what countrymen they were some were from kilkenny some limerick some dublin others of somerset dorset devon and cornwall so that he found he had choice enough of companions and as he saw he had no remedy but patience he endeavoured to amuse himself as well as he could looking through the bars one day he espied a whipping-post and gallows at which he turned to his companions and cried out a fine sight truly this is my friends which was a jest many of them could not relish as they had before tasted of the whipping looking on the other side he saw a fine house and demanding whose it was they told him it was the assembly house while he was thus amusing himself reflecting on the variety of his fate fortune was preparing a more agreeable scene for him a person coming up to the window asked where the runaway was who had been brought in that day mr carew composedly told him he was the man they then entered into discourse inquiring of each other of what country they were and soon found they were pretty near neighbors the person who addressed him being one out of dorsetshire while they were talking our hero seeing the tops of some vessels riding in the river inquired what place they belonged to the man replied to the west of england to one mr buck of bideford to whom most of the town belonged our hero's heart leaped for joy at this good news and he hastily asked if the captains kenny harvey hopkins and george bird were there the man replying in the affirmative still heightened his satisfaction will you have the goodness to be an unfortunate prisoner's friend said he to the person he was talking with and present my humble duty to any of them but particularly to captain harvey and inform them i am here the man very civilly replied he would do it and asked what he should tell them was his name carew replied our hero away ran the messenger with great haste but before he got half-way forgetting the name ran back again to ask it tell them my name is carew the rat-catcher away went the man again repeating all the way carew the rat-catcher lest he should forget it a second time and he now executed his message so well that very soon after came the captains to the jail door inquiring for carew the rat-catcher as they wanted to speak with him our hero who heard them answered with a tantivy and a halloo to the dogs upon which captain harvey swore it was carew and fell a laughing very heartily then coming to the window they very cordially shook hands with him saying they should as soon have expected to have seen sir robert walpole there as him they then inquired by what means he came there and he informed them circumstantially of everything as already mentioned the captains asked him if he would drink a glass of rum which he accepted of very gladly in his present condition one of them quickly sent down to the storehouse for a bottle of rum and a bottle of october and then they all went into the jail and sat down with him thus did he see himself once more surrounded by his friends so that he scarcely regretted his meeting with the timbermen as they had brought him into such good company he was so elevated with his good fortune that he forgot all his misfortunes and passed the evening as cheerfully as if he was neither a slave nor a prisoner the captains inquired if he had been sold to a planter before he made his escape he replied in the negative when they informed him that unless his captain came and demanded him he would be publicly sold the next court day when they took their leaves they told him they would see him the next morning accordingly they returned very early and having got admittance into the prison hailed him with the pleasing sound of liberty telling him they had agreed among themselves to purchase him then give him his release and furnish him with proper passes but instead of receiving this joyful news with the transports they expected our hero stood for some time silent and lost in thought during this while he reflected within himself whether his honor would permit him to purchase his liberty on these terms and it was indeed no little struggle which passed in his breast on this occasion on the one side liberty with all her charms presented herself and wooed to be accepted supported by fear who set before his eyes all the horrors and cruelties of a severe slavery on the other side dame honour with a majestic mien forbade him sounding loudly in his ears how it would read in future story that the ingenious mr carew had no contrivance left to regain his lost liberty but meanly to purchase it at his friend's expense for some time did these passions remain in equipoise as thou hast often seen the scales of some honest tradesman before he weighs his commodity but at length honor preponderated and liberty and fear flew up and kicked the beam he therefore told the captains he had the most grateful sense of this instance of their love but that he could never consent to purchase his freedom at their expense and therefore desired they would only do him the favor to acquaint captain frode of his being there the captains were quite amazed at this resolution and used great entreaties to persuade him to alter it but all in vain so that at last they were obliged to comply with his earnest request in writing to captain frode captain frode received with great pleasure the news of his being in custody in new town and soon sent round his longboat paid all costs and charges and brought him once more on board his ship the captain received him with a great deal of malicious satisfaction in his countenance telling him in a taunting manner that though he had promised mr william courtney to be at home before him he should find himself damnably mistaken and then with a tyrannic tone bade him strip calling the bosun to bring up a cat o nine tails and tie him fast to the main gears accordingly our hero was obliged to undergo a cruel and shameful punishment here gentle reader if thou hast not a heart made of something harder than adamant thou canst not choose but melt at the sufferings of our hero he who but just before did what would have immortalized the name of caesar or alexander is now rewarded for it with cruel and ignominious stripes far from his native country wife children or any friends and still doomed to undergo severe hardships as soon as the captain had satisfied his revenge he ordered mr carew on shore taking him to a blacksmith whom he desired to make a heavy iron collar for him which in maryland they call a pot-hook and is usually put about the necks of runaway slaves when it was fastened on the captain jeeringly cried now run away if you can i will make you help to load this vessel and then i'll take care of you and send you to the iron works of susky hadlam captain frode soon after left the vessel and went up to a storehouse at tuckhoe and the first mate to kent island whilst the second mate and boatswain kept the ship in the meantime our hero was employed in loading the vessel and doing all manner of drudgery galled with a heavy yoke and narrowly watched he began to lose all hopes of escape his spirits now began to fail him and he almost gave himself up to despair little thinking his deliverance so near at hand as he found it soon to be chapter nine